different approach this week. I'm a guest on the Latin Wealth Podcast with my boy Chris Belloso. So please go check it out. And here it is. Yo, welcome everybody to another episode to the Latin Wealth Podcast. And I'm super excited about today's episode because we got another phenomenal guest on the podcast. And I'm at the studio again. Y'all know I love being at the studio. A little bit about my guest today. He is the founder of the Hudson Group, which is a real estate firm out here in New York City. They help with everything such as commercial, uh, residential sales, rentals, and private equity lending. Um, also the founder of Hudson of the Hudson Group Media, which is also uh, a way that he's been documenting his journey along uh, his career on uh, YouTube. Um, we're right here at this dope studio, right? He's also a husband, a father, and just just overall a great guy. You know, we were chopping it up for it seems like a couple hours before this show. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Luis Omar Figuerella. How are you doing today, bro? Chris, I'm great. Thanks for having me, and um, thank you for calling me a great guy. I appreciate that. That's yeah. really, a lot of people don't uh, you don't hear understand that, that about me. You know what I mean? But I'm a great guy. I'm a great guy. I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, you no, say it enough, it becomes a reality. Yeah, no, no, great man for sure. We we definitely were chopping it up before yeah. this this podcast. Um, something we were kind of talking about, and I seen that you're um, you're actually a Nets fan, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a Laker fan. Are you? So oh, of course we, you are. We, we don't have to talk too much about the Lakers <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, but I'm curious, man, like, what's up with the, uh, the Nets? Do you feel like you guys, how far do you feel like you guys are going to go? Um, we'll definitely get into the playoffs. Okay. Um, how deep depends on how healthy. Yeah. And also, not to date the podcast, but I think the trade deadline is coming up. Yeah. So they're talking about doing some things. We'll yeah. see. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. I mean, they have, they got a good enough team to get to the playoffs. How deep into the playoffs? Yeah. Depends on health, okay. you know. How right long, now, Katie's sitting down for like two weeks at yeah, least, so yeah. we'll see how, how it goes. Um, how long have you been a Nets fan for? Um, I became a Nets fan officially in 2017. Okay. 2017, I uh, I was um, I was hit up on LinkedIn uh-huh. by a guy who worked for the Nets, mm-hmm. and he he was trying to sell tickets, obviously. But he hit me up. He's like, "Hey, man, um, I'd like to host you." Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that meant at the time. So he was like, I'd like you to come to a game with your family. And I'm like, all right, well, um, where are we going to sit? Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, what do you want to sit? I was like, well, if I'm going to buy tickets, they're going to be very close to the floor. So mm-hmm. it happened to be Kobe's last game against the Nets. Mm-hmm. Not that, you know, that was his, like his tour. And yeah, um, we were sitting like four four uh, rows back from the, from the wood. And, and um, what I liked about them was that they didn't have any really big stars. Mm-hmm. But unlike the Knicks, shout out to the Knicks. Um, mm-hmm. I used to be a Knicks fan. <laughs> the Knicks, even when they had Carmelo and all that, always had this culture of if things didn't go their way, you kind of mm-hmm. saw their energy go by the second half, and you kind of knew they gave up. With the Nets, even though they had no big-time stars, they were trying to win the game. They were trying to win the game all the way to the end, no matter what. They were trying to win the game, and I, I, it kind of resonated with me in terms of the way I approach life, where is, mm-hmm. you, know, you go all the, way, all the way to the end. And uh, so I became a fan. And then they started making big trades, and now we got some superstars. Yeah, but yeah. when I started going to the games, they had, uh, I can't even remember the kid's name, like Karis LeVert, mm-hmm. uh, Jared Allen. They were good picks. Mm-hmm. Good, you know, they, they were good picks, but not, nobody was a superstar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, that's uh, kind of got endeared to them. I love that. I love that. You know, the Lakers are always in the, the trade rumor. We're trying yeah. to get this on so and so and so. We got LeBron. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you said something key. You said, um, you know, you apply it to your life, just take it, trying to go all the way to the end, try to win. How do you apply that to your life? What does that look like for well, you? Well, we were talking about this earlier when we were having coffee at Mimi's Coffee House. Shout out to Mimi. I got I to plug all my people. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah got to plug them. Yeah. Uh, nah, man, look, like we talked about it, not to sound dark, but, you know, like 
we we get this one shot and mm-hmm. and as as long as the life we think we have in the the grand scope of it it's really just a fucking mm-hmm. flash mm-hmm. and um the biggest thing i think um i also spoke to you about was that the regret of not doing something mm-hmm. i think weighs heavier on a person than trying and failing cuz trying and failure you can you know you can learn and revisit and maybe reapply and readjust but never trying and then and, and beating yourself up about that because you just the what if, right? Mm-hmm. The what if and regret. And I think I can't live like that. I'd rather go the other way and mm-hmm. just exhaust all possibility until, you know, until I'm in the dirt. I know yeah. it sounds, I'm not trying to sound morbid. I'm just, it's you know, a pre- yeah. attack each day. Like it, yeah. it could be your last. Not, yeah. Again, not sounding like I live like I'm going to die, but I know it's going to come one day. So mm-hmm. might as well just squeeze the life out of it. Yeah. And we're definitely going to get into your story. But I'm curious, why do you feel like people don't go after it? Why do you think people... Um, are too much on the fence and they don't go after the things that truly make them happy or um, that can potentially change their life. What do you think that is? I mean, a couple of a couple of different uh, a couple of different answers to that question. Well, the one thing is, I think a lot of people don't even know what makes them happy, right? I think mm-hmm. they're so busy trying to make other people happy, That's good. whether it's their parents or their spouse or, their, or whoever, their kids, and they haven't really identified what, what would truly make them happy. Mm-hmm. And then the second part becomes fear, right? It becomes fear. Um, sometimes we build a construct of our lives where, uh, you know, you, you start getting obligations and then you have monthly, monthly obligations mm-hmm. that you have to, you have to fill and you find a way to pay those obligations. That, that becomes almost like your prison. Um, mm-hmm. and you no longer think outside the law, the lines of the prison because, you know, uh, even if it's a golden cage, I don't know if you've heard that, that, that concept where you're making good money, mm-hmm. but you know, you still work for someone else or you, there's somebody you're, you're, you're answering to. So I think the fear of... Not to cut you off, that golden cage, is that almost like the like a comfortable zone? Like you're making good well, money? Well, you feel that, you know, you, you feel like you're making good money and you are, right? And if we start talking about the average American mm-hmm. salary being $60,000 a year, like, you know what I'm saying? Like we can, we can, we can quantify all that. But then the question becomes also, um, is it, is it enough for you mm. to live the life you want to live? And nobody can answer that but you. Um, one of my friends who works for a company, I won't mention names, he said something to me. He's like, yo, they'll pay me well, but never enough to, to live next to them, meaning the CEO, the owner. Yeah. So so as long as you're aware of that and you're, you're aware of what would make you happy, what would be your number if you have that number, then you adjust your life accordingly. But most people, like, 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 yeah, like you were saying, there's, there's the golden handcuffs. Like, mm-hmm. you get a job, they'll pay you really well to keep you in your lane, but they keep you there. You know, like, sometimes, like, if you go all in, you won't even know what you can accomplish until you put in a position where you have to accomplish something. And mm-hmm. if you accomplish it, what you thought you could accomplish could have been just the beginning of something mm-hmm. bigger, right? Like, I have this saying where you, you climb up the stairs and you get to a landing, Right. And you get to this landing, that, and the landing it, it just it, it represents some some sort of level of success. But then you look to your left or your right, and there's another set of stairs. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't see it because yeah. you were down there. You get to the landing, now you see there's more to conquer. There's more to conquer, and that's forever. Yeah, mm-hmm. it could be forever, and that could be a good or a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I I choose to look at it as a good thing because I feel that if you you, you get stagnant mm-hmm. is when you start to kind of like lose it a little For bit, sure. and you know you, sure. you know iron irons iron all those little theories just. You gotta keep pushing. You yeah. gotta keep pushing. So I'm curious. Um, we and we can jump into your story. Like, where did this mindset come from? Like, talk to us about your background and you growing up. You know, we're out here in New York City. Yeah, I know you're from New York. Um, talk to us about your upbringing. Uh, the, the upbringing was um, mom came from Puerto Rico, speaking no English. Mm-hmm. Um, Section eight for people to know what that is, and, mm-hmm. and food stamps, and and cheese, and 
all that stuff and me being there and me um, having family members and me at one point just just saying to myself this ain't it this is this this can't be it this ain't in it for me i don't know what it is but this ain't it this and how is, old were you when you had those thoughts probably eight nine ten wow eight nine ten mm. when i would hear like other family members talking about hey if we're lucky we get picked for the lottery of section eight mm. and i'm like i don't know if i want to live like that like again i had no so back going back to my upbringing i grew up on 196 in jerome which is for the people that know in the bronx at the hood um, you know, your idols were the guys on the corner. You got mm -hmm. idols with guys doing things on the street that weren't good, but that's all you knew as success. Um, then I got transplanted over to another part of the Bronx, uh, uh, a nicer area. Uh, I went to Lehman High School, and then I went to NYU. And when I went to NYU was the first time I really was exposed to real wealth. And mm -hmm. what I mean that, I mean by, you know, like I remember being on the line for at the Bursar's office. I don't know if you people even know what that is anymore, pay tuition. Um, you know, I had my, my financial aid package, my scholarships, my money orders, my this, my that, and the kid in front of me is swiping their tuition with a credit card. Mm. And I'm like, wow. wow. I was like, you could do that? Like, and it just started opening up my mind. And I got really lucky. I got really lucky where I got exposed. Um, I think, I think I've, always, I've always tried to be of service and of value. And in turn, I feel that I've always been kind of lucky, right? They say when, when preparation and opportunity meet, you become mm -hmm. lucky. And uh, so I've, I've I got a lot of opportunities to work around affluence. And, um, and, and when you come from nothing, affluence can be intimidating because you don't know how to act, right? right? Like you, you're taught, and we talked about this off camera before, you're taught this is the way you act around certain people. Mm -hmm. you, you know, I remember when I, when I interviewed for this one job on 79th and um, Broadway, the Appthorpe, I was interviewing, I was in college still, I was interviewing to be a doorman, right? And it, I was plugged in to get this job. Like somebody else calls at this good kid, you know, like you had to be referred to get this job. So in the building, um, the, America, uh, the chairman of American Express, Bernard Arnold lived there, Rosie O'Donnell, Cindy Lauper, uh, Nicholas Pelagi, he wrote uh, Goodfellas, Nora Ephron, mm. all these people, they lived there, right? It was a rental, West Side, um, and you're in the yellow. So I, I'm doing the interview, I'm like 17 years old. And the lady, I remember she's the older lady. Uh, I don't even know her name, but it, it, I'm going like I'm going like chic old, like like old school uh, matching dress mm -hmm. with blazer, yeah, yeah. hair slick, a lot of makeup. Mm -hmm. She was like, "You're to be there, but not to be heard." She was like, mm -hmm. "They ask, they talk to you. Don't talk to them. Just do what they say." Like she wow. was basically saying, "Hey, you're there just to do what they want. Don't talk. Don't interact." Wow. Um, so like, yeah, I'm like, oh, the job was paying like. And this is going back into the early 90s, like $16 an hour. I'm like 17. I'm like, whatever. Whatever yeah. you want me to do, I'm going to do. She wear a blazer, whatever. So I'm, I'm the elevator man. That's You tell me where you want to go, and I press the button. That's what my job was. Mm -hmm. But as I'm in the buildings, and I was doing the vacations for all the guys that worked there, I, it was four different adjoining buildings. I met everybody. And they were one thing I noticed about all of them is that they were super cool. Mm -hmm. They were super cool. I mean... I didn't initiate, but you know, I, I couldn't be rude if they're asking me questions, you know, you gotta answer. And they were like, oh, you're in college, it's great, or you should do this, you should do that. And it was always about, um, they were trying to truly be helpful. They were really mm -hmm. trying to kick game to me in a, in a good way, mm -hmm. whereas where I come from, you know, people were always detracting and, and, and really trying to tear you down. Yeah, Why are you going down. to college? You know, yeah. college for, for smart people. And then like, like, you know, like any, any stupid thing that, that could possibly be said, mm -hmm. I've heard it. And I'm like, uh, and and luckily, uh, the gift and the curse of me being very stubborn, 
I believe what I believe until you prove me wrong. So, um, so meeting, you know, Rosie O'Donnell, Cindy Lauper, da, 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 they're all cool. They're you're all in college, cool. you're doing that, you're doing this. Oh, if, oh, if you need anything, like, you know, like trying to be of, of, of service. And I was like, yo, okay, okay. And I ended up getting another job through somebody that worked there mm -hmm. um, because I was being of service, yeah, I guess, yeah, right? Yeah. So it just it keeps leading to more opportunity, right? So, no, that's dope. And I'm curious now, when did you get that itch for entrepreneurship? Like, when did you start exposing yourself to entrepreneurship? I know at this point, you're around wealth, you're around successful people, and you see how they're treating folks, and um, it's opening your eyes. But when did you get that itch to, like, jump into it? I think the itch, uh, it initially started, I was like 16, 15, 16, I was running a gym in the Bronx. Shout out to Butch. And um, so running the front desk of a gym is nothing. You're there and you know people come in, they swipe their card or whatever. And, um, but then the hustle was personal training, right? Mm -hmm. Personal training, going back, remember, I'm going back to the 90s. Um, they're like, yo, you can make $30 an hour, you can make $50 an hour, you can make $100 an hour, like depending on your market. Um, so then I got certified and um, I, you know, I, I was in, in, in shape and you know, people will come out, want you to train me. And so I'm now making at 17 years old, $50 an hour. Right. So I'd work at five in the morning, six in the morning, make a hundred dollars, work out, go to school, like, you know, lead that life. And then at night, and then when I got into the Manhattan market, you're charging a hundred dollars an hour. And like, you know, I'm like, wow, you could do this. So I learned about marketing. I learned about being personable. And again, going back to being, of, like, that's the one thing you need to keep hearing in this podcast being of service. Mm -hmm. If you if you're truly of service and try to provide value to someone else, shit will happen for you. Mm -hmm. It's when you're doing it with the wrong motive, it never happens to you because it, the, the universe hears it. it. The vibration is is clear, you know what I'm saying? And and people can see through you. Mm -hmm. So so if you if you're of service and you're in the right proximity of people that can help, all of a sudden magic happens. Mm -hmm. You know? So going back to that, that's when I, I kind of started understanding, well, yeah, if I if I get a higher level paying skill, I can make more money. Mm -hmm. And so for the one hour, instead of making eight dollars an hour, I'm making a hundred dollars an hour. And you know, mm -hmm. that's where that kind of started. That the math started going off my yeah. head. Yeah. Okay. Dope. Yeah, I love that because I, I tell people all the time, like if you have a good product, good service, and you're a good person, and you have good intentions, people are going to talk about you when you're not in the room. When there's opportunities in other room, people are going to bring your name up. Mm -hmm. That's what you want, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when you have that servant mindset, you open up those opportunities and you open up those doors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, the name, uh, the, the acronym FAN is fanatic, right? They become mm -hmm. fanatical about you. You you give good service, bro. Yeah. They're, they're, that's your best marketing. Hey, man, you'll call my guy. Well, I have friends of mine, they, they hear you say anything on mortgages or, or real estate. Call, oh, it, don't even finish what you're saying. Just call him. He'll hold you down. New York State, anywhere. Just call him. He'll figure it out for you. He'll hold you down. And yeah. that's because I've, I've, I've always gone above and beyond. Yeah. So talk to us. How did you, when did you get into real estate? Uh, real estate I got into in 2012. Mm -hmm. um, I was in lending before that. I was in lending since 04, 05, right before the meltdown. Yeah. And, and so let's, and not to cut you off, what I really love to do on this, this podcast is break down like certain terms maybe that are not familiar with people. Okay. So for people that are not familiar with lending, what does that look like? Um, so my specialization in lending is uh, BPL, business purpose lending, which is investment properties. Yes. So if it's not your primary, that's really my strength. I can help you get into a investment property, whether that's a one family, two family, three family, four family, mixed use, office building, commercial, supermarket, anything, as long as you don't live there. That is my niche. Um, mm -hmm. That's where I built my name on. Um, and 
I'm very creative. And that's mm. kind of, I don't know if being Latin was one of the reasons I was so creative. Because when I first started in the resi market, uh, Latinos, you know, they didn't make a lot of money by themselves, but they always had like, it was him, his wife, her sister, and their cousin. Yeah. So you could put four people on a loan. So that I became really, really good at that, like putting four people together and get, increasing their, their, their buying power. And that was another reason people started looking for me because like, oh, well, we wow. couldn't go. We can't. We went to Bank of America. He said no, but Omar, he said yes. Yeah, so go see Omar. He'll figure it out for you. So these families will come to you and be like, hey, look, there's three other people I can bring, and we're trying to get investment property. Can you help us? No, nah, it, it didn't work out like that. It would always be like, yo, it's me. I want to do this. Oh. And if, in the beginning, it was primaries. I was doing FHA, VA, conventional, and they were like, um, well, I want to buy this house. I'm like, all right, well, who's gonna live there? Mm. Well, me, my wife. I was like, all right, you guys only make this amount of money. To buy this type of house, got you got to have this amount of money. Well, her sister's going to live with us, too. Well, is she willing to be on the loan? Yeah, her boyfriend, too. Well, is he willing to be on the loan? Or my son will. Or, you know, like, mm -hmm. it became, I got the whole picture. I was like, well, I need everybody. If you guys want in, I need everybody. And um, that's how I learned how to, like, ask the question, the right questions, to see what they had to help them get what they want. Got you. So in 2012, you start your own company? In 2012, I opened up Hudson Group Realty Network, yes. Yeah. Um, in 2012, I was told that they ne we needed um, a New York real estate broker license to do certain loans that I was doing already. Mm. So they said, you have one year to get it or we're not gonna allow you to do them. Who's they? Um, regulators, like yeah. different banks. They're like, oh, we gotcha. need this, we need this to get done. Like, you know, we know who you are, we, we like to rock with you, but mm -hmm. just, just get it done. So I became an agent, um, I sold, uh, at that time, there's a lot of short sales happening. So I sold like, I don't know, 40 houses. And that wasn't even my specialty. I just knew I needed to get it done. So I knew how to do loans mm -hmm. and I knew that they were doing short sales. So then I was just like, look, man, I got the loan for you. Let me do the real estate part too. Mm -hmm. And um, as long as the client won, they were like, yeah, just do it. So it was about, so 20, 20, uh, 2009 is when the kind of the market Crack. 2008 was the, the official meltdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I was young, right? Uh huh. Um, when hmm. did, how old were you? How old was I? Yeah. So that was, what is that? 10, 28. I was probably like 16. Oh, wow. Okay. 15 around there. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. I'm tripping. No. Yeah, I was like 15, 15. Yeah. Okay. So when did it start to turn around? Did it turn around to, uh, 2012? No. Nah, well, yeah. What happened was 08, 09. So what originally happened was mm -hmm. in 2003, 4, 5, regulation went kind of left, and I use that word sparingly, in terms of Wall Street. You ever watch that movie, Big Short? I have not. Or you should watch that movie. Yeah. I'll send it to you. But um, Wall Street was kind of dictating the programs. And when I say Wall Street, I mean private investment banks, not the government, not GSEs, which are called government sponsoring entities, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, nothing with that. It was guys that were trying to make money. So they were like, yo, we'll do 106% financing. We'll do this. We'll do that. Well, they were getting crazy with it. Mm -hmm. And they artificially drove mm -hmm. prices up. But the problem was that since nobody had any equity because they weren't putting any money into the property, people were walking away. Mm -hmm. And that's what created the implosion because now all the, it's the, the, the concept they used back in the day was like, well, if this house is on fire, all the houses are going to catch fire. So let's stop the fire there. Right. Um, so they were trying to figure out ways to kind of stop people from walking away in Florida. You would get evicted or, or foreclosed and thrown out your house in seven days mm. in New York. It could take 10 years. So every wow. state was different. Right. So you have that kind of 08, 09, everything, everything's on fire. 
I think 2010 or 11, FHA, which is the Federal Housing Administration, which is a GSC, which is a government-sponsoring entity. I'm just breaking it down yeah, like yeah, you told yeah, me yeah. to. Um, they accounted, before that, they accounted for maybe 3% of the financing in America. During those years, they accounted for about 95% wow. of the fire. So the government stepped in wow. to kind of stop the fire, wow. right? To kind of, before the whole country mm -hmm. just fell apart. Um, and that's where you started seeing more of a uh, stabilization because they had to give access to capital. Um, very, very, very kind of like what they did with COVID. I was just going to say, yeah, kind of like what, what they did with COVID. What similarities did you see f during that time to COVID to even like to 2023 today? Well, COVID, COVID was a, a, a pandemic, which was different, right? It was a health thing, right? right. People were dying. So it's a different thing. But the reaction from the banks and all the lending institutions during COVID I'll say in about three weeks, everybody shut down, mm -hmm. right? Whereas during the meltdown of 08, and I don't know if it was because of the proliferation of the internet, whatever, mm -hmm. it maybe took three or four months. Like people were shutting down. They were trying to struggle, but I mean, I, this is, I know you're young. Let me give you an example. What if everybody at Chase went to work one day and Chase was closed? That's what happened to certain mortgage banks. Like people in Long Island went to their jobs and they, the padlocks were on, mm. shut down. Um, Lehman Brothers, which probably doesn't mean anything to you. Lehman Brothers was like considered like, uh, I'm trying to think of who you, Charles Schwab. Yeah. That's have a big house, mm -hmm. went bankrupt. Like these are all, this was crazy. This mm. was crazy. Um, George Bush, was it George Bush? Yeah, I think it was George Bush. Mm -hmm. He was the president at the time. And he was talking about, he did this in a, a closed door conference. Like there was no recording uh, allowed. And he was just like, yo, we didn't know what was going on. We were just trying to deal with it. <laughs> you know, like, he was like, every day wow. we were getting these reports. And now he can say that, you know, being mm -hmm. being so far away from the incident. Mm -hmm. But during the incident, you know, they had that that face, that stiff upper lip. Hey, we're going to be good. Everything's yeah. fine. You got to have that. But even though he was like, <laughs> we don't know what the fuck was happening. <laughs> you know, like every day I get a report and we're like, yo, how are we going to save this? How are we going to fix this? You know, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty crazy. So COVID was just a very quick knee-jerk reaction. Like I've never seen something something contained so quickly in terms of economics, right? Mm -hmm. From mortgage banks allowing you not to pay your mortgage. From cars. Insane. I mean, yeah, they were like, yo, you take a year off. Don't worry about it. Like, and then I had to figure out a way to keep getting business done mm -hmm. because there were certain people still making moves, right? Some people sitting on cash, they want to make moves. So you couldn't go to a house, but they wanted to buy. Like it was, it was mm -hmm. wild. It was wild. Um, but innovation, COVID was definitely about innovation. And um, 08 was just like the economic system the money wasn't moving, mm -hmm. so nothing was moving. During COVID, things were still trying to be moving, even though it was a little harder. Like, for example, to qualify for a regular conventional loan, they would get a pay stub from you. Um, they would call, make sure you had a job. The day of closing, mm -hmm. they would call again and make sure you still had your job because people were getting fired left and right. Two weeks later, they were calling to make sure you still had your job. So it was, it was kind of wild, but wow. yeah, it was, wow. it was wild. It was, uh, it's not for the week. Yeah, <laughs> it was not yeah. for the week. Yeah. Um, so you started Hudson group in 2012. Yeah. I'd love for you to fast forward just a little bit into 2023 and bring okay. us to like, what do, services do you guys offer now? Okay. Uh, what are you guys doing as a company now and so forth? So Hudson group realty network is the real estate platform, yep. right? Um, that we sell, we sell 
all types of properties. Right now, most of our properties are upper end, but mm -hmm. we sell anything. We work with anybody. Um, HDR and Capital is another subsidiary of Hudson Group, which is the lending arm. So we're a national mm -hmm. lender. We lend our money. Um, we, we tell people you have to qualify. This is the criteria we need. You qualify, we close the loan. Mm -hmm. We'll close all 50 states. And then HDR Media is the company above it, which documents everything yep, yep. to kind of illustrate. And the reason, like we talked off camera before, the reason for it is simply to show it's possible, mm -hmm. right? And and, yeah, and, and, and again, not in a braggadocious way, but rather in a, in a yo, why not you? Mm -hmm. Yo, take something that you see that I did or I'm doing and, uh, you know, tweak it mm -hmm. so it works for you and in your market or however you're doing it and do it. Mm -hmm. Like, don't... I look like you. I come from where you come from. Mm -hmm. I could do it. You could do it. That's really the whole message. Um, I think before that, we didn't have enough representation. Mm -hmm. And I use these words sparingly because I don't think people understand the gravity of certain words. When I say representation, I mean, you don't see people anywhere, whether you Google something, hey, doctor, you don't see anybody that looks like you, you know, lender, professional. You don't see anybody that looks like you. So then you start thinking subconsciously, mm -hmm. all right, so this ain't me. This ain't me. I can't do it. Right. Maybe I'm, who am I? Am I the car wash guy? Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, fuck that. I had to say it again. I'm saying, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. You, could be, you could be a CEO. Mm -hmm. I was going to the Nets game the other day with my boy, and he was like, that's a microaggression Omar. And I didn't realize it. Um, and I didn't really think about it, but now that I think about it, it, it is. So we're walking. We, we, had, we, we ate and we're walking to our seats, and we sit on the floor, right? We sit on the wood. And the guy's like, are you, are you a fighter? Are you a boxer? And I'm like, nah, man, I'm CEO. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I'm not a boxer, I'm a businessman. Yeah. Uh, and my man was like, oh, it's a microaggression. I'm like, is it? He's like, yeah, why you gotta be a fighter, bro? Why can't you be a businessman? Why can't you use your brain? I was like, but it came from another Latino. So mm -hmm. I feel like he doesn't know any better. The imposter syndrome that we were speaking about earlier. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But these are just little, I'm giving you little anecdotes of, of mm -hmm. things that I'm going through that I don't even realize um, until your friends pointed out, you're oh, And I'm like, mm. But going back to what I was saying to you is that that's why it's so important for representation. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I can't wait till there's a Latino president. I mean, I don't know what what you're gonna do there because yeah. you know obviously politics is a whole different thing. Yeah. But until that happens, it'll never be po it'll never be mm -hmm. mentally possible for somebody to see themselves there. No, hundred you know? um, percent. Talk to us about what a day in a life looks like for you. Like, what does a hustle look like for you? I know mentioned you mentioned before this this conversation that you get up at four every morning. Four to five uh, in the morning, depending on how cold it is now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because my gym, I have the gym in my garage. It doesn't have heat, so mm -hmm. it's a whole different thing. But I wake up early. I ground myself with the workout. Um, by I like to be at my desk, w whatever office I'm at, by eight thirty, mm -hmm. and um, then I got to tell the teams. I have team meetings. I have processing teams, that have loan officer teams, that have real estate agent teams. We go over what their goals are for the day or where are we or what we're going for the week. And then I just uh, assign. I assign mm -hmm. and then my business is really to kind of supervise or I have certain clients that only want to talk to me. I have other clients that talk mm -hmm. to my, my team, my liaisons, and I kind of try to figure that out. But the good thing about having a team under you working on the work, I now have the ability to do little things. I'll use an example like... Um, I recently got new signatures for my emails. Mm -hmm. Like little shit like that. Little Nuances stuff, yeah. that you're working on your business because when you when people see you, your electronic signature, um, they, they it's almost like seeing what kind of more clothes you have on. Yeah, what kind of yeah, like yeah. You, everything has to like That's a fact. you want you wanna be more this person, point. you gotta right, it has to look on at all levels. Mm -hmm. So 
it gives me time to work on things like that, mm-hmm. which might not be a big deal to somebody else. But subconsciously, when you see emails come from certain people and they look a certain way, and you're like, oh, it's a real place. Or this is a real dude. Or, you know, it just, I think I spoke to you off camera. It's like, you know, you walk in a room, you're, you're fit, you're in shape. Yo, this guy respects himself. Mm-hmm. Why? He must be doing something because, you know, he's not, he's not a regular. It's like, mm-hmm. it's just these assumptions, all these, these social indicators that people don't understand. Like, like um, you walk in a room and, and you, you're looking like, you know, you just woke up, your eyes are all crazy. You know, you're like, yo, who is this dude? Like, yeah. well, it, all of a sudden, you have to work that much harder for credibility. Yeah. You yeah. walk, yeah. right, That's you key. walk in. And you look a certain way, you talk a certain way, you, you move a certain way, and they're like, oh, he, like, there's so much less work going into mm-hmm. justifying who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it sounds, you know, like, almost like classification, but it's the truth. People mm-hmm. people are judgy. People, they're yeah, going to judge you no matter what. So either you control it mm-hmm. or you become a victim to it. Yeah. So something I wanted to ask you is what's one thing from 2022 that you want to approve upon in 2023. So th- I'll give you a second to think about that. For me, one of the things I really want to work on this year is to continue to build on momentum, mm-hmm. right? So one of the things I wanted to do going into 2023, and it were, this is the third week, third weekend into 2023, is just continue to build that momentum in whatever I'm doing. So something, for example, last year, like I, I would be consistent with the podcast and then life would happen and the momentum would go. Right. So going into 2023, I wanted to make sure I had all my interviews lined up for New York, everything set up um, and just to continue to ride that momentum. What's one thing from last year that you want to approve upon? Um, things that I've, I've already initiated for last year um, going to this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to put them on the camera because, you know, obviously there's some things that would be a surprise. But uh, one thing with the team is, like, I've noticed, like, I have a, a couple of guys that work for me. And I believe in proximity. I believe in being around somebody. If if you want to learn something from somebody who's really good at it, you got to be around them. Get you can't. It's, and it's not Zoom. It's not on the phone. you got to be around them. you got to see the way he analyzes things, the way he break it down, the way he in conversations, the way he interacts with people. Like, mm-hmm. if your, your team wants to be as good as you, um, they have to be around you. And so this year I'm working on being around my team more, even like tomorrow we have to go do appraisals. Um, it's just a walkthrough. My mm-hmm. client doesn't speak English, appraisal doesn't speak Spanish. So I'm, I speak both. And um, I'm telling my, my man Mike to be there. I'm like, you gotta be there. I want you to see what I tell them, mm-hmm. see what I don't tell them, what I show them, what you don't talk, what you don't talk about, what you can't talk about. Cause there's mm-hmm. certain like legalities that you can't yeah. talk about. Like, and there's no way that it just, it takes so much more to try to explain it as an abstract, comparing it, doing it on, mm-hmm. on site, like experiencing it, it's number one. So this year I'm gonna spend, be spending a little more time with my team and, and, and giving them the experience they need because if I make them better, mm-hmm. then I don't have to be as good, right? Or I can have a day off or I can, or I wanna take a weekend and not be there. Yo, I need you to handle that. Why? Well, we did this last week, remember? Yeah, just like that, just do it again. So, you know, like that's what I'm kinda trying to build on in terms of bringing my team up that. to the next level. Yeah, I love that. Um, knowing what you know now as an entrepreneur, what would you do differently? Let's just say five years ago, cause you've been an entrepreneur for a while now. Mm-hmm. What would you do differently knowing what you know now? I'm gonna say this and you're probably like, well, for real, that's a fucked up answer. Nothing. You know why? Mm-hmm. Because every mistake I've made has taught me so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and every mistake I've made, I can, I can sound them off to you. Mm-hmm. Like they're lessons, they're life lessons. Mm-hmm. And I believe if I don't m- get these life lessons, then 
I might make a bigger mistake later. Mm-hmm. So I take my L's. I take my I take my dubs. I take my L's. And um, am I? Of course, we all judge you sometimes. We're like, oh, you know, kind of done this better. And like, but I'm like, yo, man, how, how would you have known that? Like, there's no way to know yeah, everything. Yeah. You want to try to know everything, right, but you, right. there's no way to know everything. So, what's, what's uh, talk to us about a recent mistake or failure that you went through, and how did you overcome it? Um, recent mistake I've made. Actually, no, it wasn't a mistake. It was. Uh, it turned out well, but um. Sometimes being too accessible mm. is, a, and, and when I say that, it's like you have to draw like you have to draw um, have boundaries, boundaries have for boundaries, yeah. for clients, um, and in a good way. It doesn't have to be, uh, and sometimes clients, you know, get get in their uh, get in their bag, and they're like sensitive, and they only want to talk to you. But they also have to understand that you know you're a professional, and um, you have a family too, and so. Um, Working on that, and I didn't lose my cool during this whole transaction, but I, I, it was a test because it was such a test that it would affect me. Like I would be tired at the end of the day because you're like you have this mental bandwidth that's take that's taking from you, taking from you, taking from you. And even when you try to like not think about it anymore, yeah. if you're a true fucking professional, shout out to all you guys out there, it stays with you, mm-hmm. bro. Because because you 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 want to be the best, right? You the best version, whatever that is, and and being the best means like you know working when nobody else is working, thinking about how can I do this, how can I do that, but to a point, don't make it self-destructive, mm-hmm. right? And that becomes, you can be aware, but don't be self-destructive. Mm-hmm. And that, I believe, is that that the gift and the curse that mm-hmm. I have, because sometimes my wife will be like, all right, enough, yeah, no more, let's not talk about that no more, let's talk about yeah. this. And, um, you know, and, and sometimes I, I disconnect escapism, watch a funny movie, usually go to the game, or something like that to kind of decompress. Yeah, I was just gonna ask you, like, as a, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, CEO, someone that's creating content constantly, how do you take care of your mental health, right? How do you take care of yourself? How do you uh, make sure that you're good? Because I know we live in this hustle culture where we got to go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. And it's like, do we ever take a step back and see if we're good? Are we even enjoying the process? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. and you've been at it for a while now. So how do you take a step back and take care of your mental health, especially as an entrepreneur? That's something that we don't talk a lot about yeah. is we glorify the nice watch, the nice cars, yeah. the lifestyle. Yeah. But how many more people on the other side are going through like the dark times and like, let's be honest, some people are going through depression, yeah. suicidal yeah. thoughts and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. How do you make sure that you're on point uh, make, and making sure you're showing up for your family as well? I think um, trying to like, so trying to be there when you're there, right? Because there's a lot of people that are, there physically but not there mentally yeah, yeah. so um and doing shit that i enjoy that might other people might enjoy like this morning i was playing basketball with my 18 year old mm-hmm. um you know i'm not moving like i was 18 no more but <laughs> yo I, I still try right yeah, i still play and, and it just gives us that time together and yeah. it, if you're playing basketball competitive and i don't care who you are if you're trying to play you're trying to play to win right mm-hmm. so you're gonna i'm Absolutely. going against other dudes my age and we're trying to win mm-hmm. so like there's no way i'm thinking about anything else except yeah. this fucking game right so that um and also sometimes looking at or speaking to somebody or speaking to my kids for in particular about what's going on with them mm-hmm. it really helps me disconnect because at the end of the day to me um look we talked about it money it, it makes things easier but at mm-hmm. the end of the day it's just it's just a vehicle it's not vehicle. it's not gonna make you happy right mm-hmm. making me making me happy is having these memories because at the end of the day we are just a summary of memories guy our life is just a summary of events we don't take it with us right the egyptians tried to they can't yeah um that's a fact. so 
me looking at them and, and making sure that I spend time with my family sometimes and not spending time begrudgingly. Like in the mm -hmm. beginning of my, uh, my career, because I was young and I, and I had nothing, I was almost a little bit obsessed and, um, and I wasn't as present as I could be. Um, and even though I'm nowhere near where I want to be, um, I also understand how precious everything is. So when I'm, let's say, having dinner with my kids, I'm having dinner with my kids. I'm not, mm. they, I put the phone on silent. I'm, yeah. There's nothing yeah. more important right now than, than talking to these guys and or talking to my wife. or um, Because for the most part, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I, look, I'm working tomorrow, um, which is a Sunday. I'm working MLK day because clients are off so they can see me. So mm. when I, I, I'm very stingy with my time. And so when I'm doing something else, I'm doing something else because I feel that I give so much to my career, to my, my clients, my employees, so that when I want to do something for me, I don't feel guilty about it. Cause usually I'm giving more than I get anyway. Um, but, but doing something I enjoy distracting, um, whether it's buying sneakers with my mm -hmm. kids that, we're matching, even though that sounds yeah. corny. It's just, it's just yeah. little no, shit that we can sure. share, yeah. um, that you can talk. Like, I, I don't, want, I don't want to demean it and say nonsense, but you know, we talk about Jays. You know, it's, yeah, it, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're, we're not solving any incredible crisis. Mm -hmm. We're talking bullshit, but it's, it's those memories that I believe they'll have later, and the ones that I have because I, I like to just talk to them on their terms too. Because, like we were talking off camera, I'm this businessman whatever level of success I have. Um, but to them, I'm just dad. Just dad. Yeah. So I, yeah. I could, I could be, you know, uh, Steve jobs, mm -hmm. rest in peace or whatever at home. Mm -hmm. It's just dad. It's just, you know, mm -hmm. it ain't nobody. It's just dad. He's just, he's just talking shit. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm curious and you can be as transparent as you want with this, you being a successful father. Um, how do you plan on securing your legacy and, generational wealth i think i literally was reading something yesterday i think for people that create generational wealth the wealth it goes away after two generations or after one generation. yeah it's it's like about that. financial literacy right yeah. it's about educating them um and I, I try to do it in a way where they don't understand that i'm i'm educating them because if you try to just kind of pound it to them they just mm -hmm. don't take to it so I, like the other day i'm driving with um my 18 year old i'm like hey man give me three reasons why you should invest in real estate so mm -hmm. he He's giving me like, you know, like these reasons like, well, they're not making more of it. You know, generally, I said they're all great answers. I was like, but think of these things. I said, you're buying something that appreciates. You know what that means? He goes, no. I go, well, you bought it for a dollar and in two years, it'll be worth $2, right? And three years, $3. Think about that. So it's going up in value. So if you ever had to sell it, you make more than you bought it for. I was like, you can write off the depreciation. Do you know what that is? He goes, no. I go, you're going to have to pay taxes eventually in your life. I said, but as an owner, a business owner and a, and, a, and, a, and a property owner, you can write certain things off that you spend money on so you can keep more money in your pocket. Mm -hmm. So it's not about how much you're making, it's about how much you're keeping, Cheap. right? And I said, and the third thing is like cash flow. I was like, let's say you have to pay $2,000 a month to, to maintain this property, but you're getting $8,000 a month. You're getting $6,000 a month. I was like, and then you play the depreciation game and you keep $6,000 a month. Mm -hmm. Do you see it now? So- I break it down to really digestible parts. Um, and um, for my, my other part is, you know, of course, once you reach a certain level of, uh, of success and you have certain things, you should definitely think about opening a, a trust, having a trust. Mm -hmm. You should all, I, I have every, every building I have has life insurance policies on it so mm -hmm. that I have an agreement with my partners, God forbid I expire first. They're the beneficiaries of the life insurance policy. 
for whatever number that is, and they sign over that money to my family, and my family just signs over the building. Because I didn't want to burden them with yeah. running a business. And I've never heard of a story where one partner dies and their family comes in and it's a great thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, so never. they'll, right. So they'll get whatever they're getting and mm -hmm. they can start their own thing. Um, and honestly, that's the most I can do. I can't worry about, you know, what are they going to do in the future? I was like, mm -hmm. not everybody's built for, for business. Um, and especially, I think um, I, I am more in tune to business because I understand how it works to kind of help change your, your life. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas my, my, the, the kids that I'm raising don't know scarcity. Um, so this is, you know, regular Monday, right? Mm -hmm. Like we live in this certain area, we do certain things. And, um, so we have to find whatever adversity it is that will inspire them to kind of ignite their passion in whatever that is. And it might be creative. It might yeah. not be business. Did that frustrate you in any type of way? Like, Y'all didn't grow up like how I grew up. You know what I'm saying? You guys. Nah, I think. No, nah, I think you'll listen. And this is where we can talk about the difference in age here. Um, what we do as parents is a direct reflection of the pain that we've endured, mm -hmm. right? And the pain that I endured was not having. So I did whatever I could, and I'm still doing it to this day where I don't want my kids to ever feel that. Like, you mm -hmm. can't get those, or you can't afford that, or you're poor, or you're, you know, you're the clothes are dirty. Like, those are th things that they'll never endure. So, do I get frustrated with them once in a while? Yeah, once in a while, but then going back to the statement I made to you, I've made it to my wife multiple times, I was like, they don't know anything else. Mm -hmm. So, that's the gift and the curse, right? Um, uh, so, no, nah, like, it is what it is. This, mm -hmm. is, this, is the, uh, this is the life I built for them, and I'm, I'm glad to build it because the whole concept is to give them a better life than you had. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually, like, I, you know, I'm, I tell them, look, one day I'm not going to be here. So you got to take the kingdom and go and kingdom and, and make it happen. So yeah, whatever yeah. that's going to be. And I said, I don't know what your strengths are and you have to identify those strengths. And um, then you're going to have to work on those strengths. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Um, I love to dive into your investments a little bit. The other day you made a video about like the different investments that you've made in yeah. 2022. You said apartment buildings, um, an app, stocks. I'm curious, what is your approach to investing? Um, when should you, when do you feel like it's the right time? Um, I know each one of those is like a completely different investment. Yeah. How do you approach maybe each one? Uh, when is it? Like, the question everybody has right now, in addition to that, is should I buy a home right now? Should I put my money in real estate? Should I wait until the market goes lower? You know, what are we doing right now? Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? I think buying a primary um the best day to buy it is today if not yesterday and the mm -hmm. reason it's not so much the economics behind it it's the mindset shift of it primary yeah the mindset the mindset shift of it is this the mindset shift if you go to a neighborhood where everybody owns their house and lives in their house those streets are immaculate everybody cares about their shit there's no garbage there's no if you go to a a place where everybody's the tenant there's garbage everywhere there's no connection to it um so i feel that people should feel connected to their real estate because it's almost an extension of who you are. Your yeah. mindset changes. Now you own shit. Now you start learning about depreciation. Now you start learning about write-offs. Now you start educating yourself financially. Now you're $80,000 a year can stretch into 120, right? Like there's, there's ways to leverage yourself, mm -hmm. but without applying it, you'll never learn. And it's like me teaching it a, a classroom, but until you do it yourself and you like, you know how like, you don't believe it until you see it, like till you get that first tax refund check where you wrote off all the improvements you made on your house and usually get $6,000 back and you get $20,000 back. And you can take that money and reinvest it in your house in, a, in an asset that's gonna appreciate, mm. right? 
uh, writing off depreciation, like learning those concepts mm -hmm. because you've been a W-2 employee all your life and money's been taken out of your pocket without you having a say. Now you have a say of actually getting money back into your pocket. Now what you do with that money becomes the, the true win, yeah. right? Whether you go buy yourself a pair of J's or you buy yourself another house or whatever, but you know, like that becomes a financial literacy part. So I think that people should invest in, in the home. I think if they want to buy an investment property, they should do that too, but don't make, don't, don't buy an investment property where you're like, God forbid your tenant doesn't pay you, mm. you go into foreclosure. You have mm. to buy it within scale. And so what I mean by that is I have a lot of clients that are buying in Pennsylvania right now. New York money in Pennsylvania, if you make 120 in New York City, you can buy a house in Pennsylvania for 80,000, 100,000, um, fix it. They're airbnb it, they're renting it, they're making $2,000 a month, $3,000 a month. Where in New York City, um, they'd have to be in a $700,000, $800,000 kind of game. So take your money and use it where it, it, it's, it moves mm -hmm. the most, you know? Yeah, talk to us about this app that you invested in. Uh, Modi what, app. Yeah, yeah. What, what made you want to invest in a tech app? And like, I mean, that's outside of what you've been doing. So yeah. talk to us about that. Well, because I see that with COVID, um, a tech app is global, right? And also I believe in the jockey, the guy who designed it, Hugo and, and old Jeff and those guys. Um, the fact that it's a Latino owned app was mm. a third piece for me. But the part I love about it is something that I use, right? There's money transfer. Like I wire, I Zelle, I Venmo, I what, uh, Cash App, all the uh, centralized that shit. Use one thing and, you know, God forbid I can make money off of it or, or get paid. Like if it, if it pops, mm -hmm. you make an explosive amount ROI. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of that is that you have to understand that that is a um, almost like a business strategy because tech apps, they're not, you know, like they're high, high risk. Right. High so risk, yeah. it has to be something that if you take an L, you got to, you know, mm, you got to do this and just keep <laughs> pushing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take it out. So yeah. it's not for everybody. Nope. So most of my money I invested in, I invested in two buildings, 21 and fifth unit. Um, and I life insured them and I have some, some stock. Um, but the Modi app was like in your portfolio, you have something that's called conservative and you have something called aggressive, right? So the Modi app was my most aggressive mm -hmm. play because if it pops, I'm a hundred times in my money. Mm -hmm. Um, if it doesn't, I'm not going broke. I'm still working. Mm -hmm. and, but that's one of the things I tell people that talk about investing. I'm like, look, you never stop moving. Mm -hmm. Like, you put it there with all intents and do what you can to help it move along. Mm -hmm. But your main money maker has to stay your your your, your main focus. Keep because the main it, thing the main thing. Right. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep making money. Yeah. Because if it goes well, that's great. If it goes bad, you might, like, suck your teeth or something. But mm -hmm. you're not, you know, you didn't you didn't mortgage your house for mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So that that's because everybody wants to get rich quick scheme. And I'm just mm -hmm. saying, like just be smart like mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying like i don't say don't save money i'm saying you know have some things that are going to grow have some money all, always have the six months reserves mm -hmm. like once if you can build all that mm -hmm. and you start having more of a thriving mindset to to pull that from eyl um instead of a scarcity mindset where you're always kind of behind um things start changing everything looks mm -hmm. like an opportunity for you mm -hmm. and um that's what I want people to, to start trying to do. Like, yeah. look at the opportunities to win. And it, it, it also delves back into what I was telling you before. If you have service, opportunity, opportunities come to find you. Mm. Because people want to rock with good people. Mm. People will look for you. Um, I've been lucky. You know, people look for me because of the work I've done yeah. with other people. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, love that. Love that. Um, definitely, definitely a great person. You know, I love how you 
you know, we were chopping it up for a while. Most people would not do that, take the time to do that. Yeah. Uh, you're a busy guy, so I definitely appreciate that. Definitely appreciate you being on this podcast, and we can start wrapping this thing up. One thing I always ask my guests before they leave is, who is one person that needs to be on the Latin Wealth Podcast? The only exception is you got to know them. <laughs> okay. okay. You know what I'm saying? So who's one person you think needs to be on this platform? Uh, I think I'll nominate... I'll nominate Chris Cabanillas on this one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, very well-known attorney in Westchester. Um, do, does very well for himself. Has a, a thriving law firm with about sixteen offices. Um, good friend of mine. Yeah. And yep. I can introduce you guys, and dope. Dope. you could do something love like it. that. Love it. Uh, with that being said, where can people reach out to you? Where can people find more information about you? I'll link everything in the description of this podcast. But go ahead, talk to the people. Ask Lewis Omar. On all of the platforms. I made it all very uniform. I have a website, As Lewis Omar. Um, As Lewis Omar, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, As Lewis Omar. Just yeah. Ask Lewis Omar. And you guys know where to find us at uh, Latin Wealth on Instagram. Uh, go ahead and share this episode with one other person or family member that needs to hear this. And with that being said, it's your boy Chris. We'll catch you guys next week. Peace. It's your boy Chris.